0: you are listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Father, you are worthy of all the praise. Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all the praise. You are worthy because of what you have done for us in the past. By sending your son to die on the cross, you are worthy. Because of what Christ did when he rose from the dead. You are worthy, Lord, not only from raising Christ from the dead, but for raising us from our spiritual death and giving us new life. So this morning, Lord, we want to give you the glory that you deserve. So, Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, we know that you will speak to us. Give us ears to hear and give us hearts to hear that are so affected by the truth that you want to show us and reveal to us that we would leave here today with our hearts bursting with that anthem. He is worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, happy Resurrection Day to you all. Thank you. If you have a Bible with you, you will make your way to the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Matthew is where we're going to be this morning, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to make your way there. As you do, I just want to say what a wonderful day it's been so far for those who were able to join us for breakfast. It was a sweet time. And then what, what, what rich songs we just got to sing together. What what wonderful truths we got to rehearse and celebrate this morning. I have loved our time this morning already. And I love seeing everyone dressed up. And it's actually a good thing that you're all dressed the way you are, because today we must all attend a funeral together. Now, this is probably not what you were expecting when you came this morning. You weren't expecting to attend a funeral. I know what you're thinking. A funeral? I, I, I thought we had gathered together today to celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Well, let me assure you, we will most certainly, and we most certainly are here to celebrate The resurrection. But in order to do so, in order to celebrate the resurrection, we must be prepared to attend Jesus' funeral. Because that was the setting for the resurrection. You see, this morning, we must travel back in time to a graveyard in the city of Jerusalem. But we don't go alone alone. We're simply going to be following the lead of some of Jesus's devoted women disciples as they make their way to the tomb. So let us go with them as we read the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Church, I invite you to follow along as I read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Our outline for today's message is simple. In verses 1 through 7, we're going to see the empty tomb. Verses 8 through 10. The risen Savior. Let's begin by looking at the empty tomb. Verses 1 through 7. You know, a few weeks ago when I began working and thinking through the Easter message, I was struck by this fact that I think for so long I have overlooked. I was struck by the fact that the story of the resurrection of Jesus, it revolves around his funeral. Right? That's the setting in which this story we're considering takes place. Look back again at verse 1. We're told now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now what we're not informed by Matthew here, but the other gospel writers tell us, for example, Mark and his gospel in chapter 16, verse 1, we're told why they went to the tomb. It wasn't simply just to sit there. It wasn't because of any other reasons. We're told they went there to anoint his body, which would have been the custom of the day. And they weren't able to do it the day before because it was the Sabbath and they were observing the Sabbath. So here they are going To pay their last respects to this man they loved. Now, because of the manner in which Jesus died, which was by crucifixion, which you have to remember was scandalous. And because of the way in which Jesus died, only a handful of devoted women went to the tomb to see this place where Jesus was buried. Now, it's been estimated that about two million people lined the streets of India in 1948 to mourn the death of Muhammad Gandhi, the Hindu religious leader who was assassinated. And it's believed that around two million people lined the streets of Vatican City to pay their last respects To Pope John Paul II. It's estimated that another 2 billion people. Watched on television. Jesus' funeral was not well attended to say the least. But what happened that day. At the tomb. Changed the world. Look at verse 2. And behold. There. There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, you might be thinking, what is with that? Well, according to this account by Matthew, who, by the way, was one of the disciples of Jesus, he tells us when the angel appeared, the earthquake occurred. When the angel appeared, the earthquake occurred. You see, these two events occur simultaneously. The coming of this angel brought about this earthquake. The angel, we're told, came down from heaven. And why did he come? To roll back the stone so that the empty tomb could be visible. He didn't roll back the stone so that Jesus could leave. He rolled back the stone so that we could all know that the tomb was was empty. And this description of the earthquake and the angel, it's a dramatic display meant to highlight the significance of what had just occurred. Think about this, both the earthquake and the angel, they demonstrate to us the unique identity of Jesus. If You're wondering, what what is with this angel and what is with this Earthquake. Both of them demonstrate to us the unique identity of Jesus. How so? Both the earthquake and the angel show us that heaven and nature proclaim His majesty. If you recall, both heaven and nature announced the birth of Christ. Go to Matthew 2. When He was born... There was a bright light, unexplainable, in heaven. And there were angels who announced that He had come. And here, at this empty tomb, there is once again heaven and nature, proclaiming the glory of Christ. In verse 3 then, we're told about this angel. It says his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Now, I, I believe the reason Matthew tells us about his appearance is important for a couple of reasons. When it says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow, often when Biblical writers are trying to explain the unexplainable. They have, to, they have to really reach for metaphors. So it's not literally that he looked like lightning. It's basically saying, how do you describe the, undescri- the indescribable? He's, he's beyond description. All that Matthew can say is his appearance was bright and radiant. Meaning that it was crystal clear. That he was not simply a human being, but a heavenly being. That's the point being made. No one could say, well, that could have just been a man. And Matthew would have said, not, not according to those ladies. It was not a man. There's something about him that was so otherworldly. And Look at verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. And became like dead men. Right before our passage in chapter 27, verses 62 through 65, we're informed that Pilate had guards placed at the tomb, and he did so at the request of the religious leaders who opposed Jesus, And why did Pilate do this? And why did these religious leaders request that guards be placed at his tomb? That's not a normal thing, by the way. That wasn't the custom of the day. Why in the world did this happen? It was due to the fact that Jesus had announced a number of times that he would rise from the dead. And in hopes to prevent his disciples from taking his body and then announcing he had risen, Guards were placed around the tomb to protect it. Oh, but don't miss the rich irony on display in this description of the guards. Look back at verse 4 again. And for fear of this angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Notice the irony. The men called to guard the corpse become like a corpse in the sight of this angel. They fall down like they were dead. Now think back once again to the details concerning the birth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Do you remember how Herod tried to put an end to the birth of the Messiah by slaughtering the infant boys in Bethlehem? His attempt was, off, was obviously unsuccessful. Well, here... In the same way, at the end of Jesus' story here on earth, in the same way it began with opposition, people trying to stop the Messiah and the news of the Messiah coming here once again. People are trying to stop the story of the Messiah being spread. See, these guards at the tomb of Jesus are assembled of those in power trying to silence the story of his resurrection. But they, like Herod, were unsuccessful. See, the point we're to take away up to this point is heaven was victorious against the powers of Rome and against religious opposition. What the most powerful man and the most powerful empire in the the world was seeking to do... They were powerless to carry it out that day. Now look what happens next in verses 5 through 6. We're told, but the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For He has risen As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Those words, don't be afraid. And that invitation, come and see where he lay. Can you hear the echo of Jesus' birth again? Don't be afraid. Come see where he lay. See, Jesus came into this world in the most unusual way, born among animals, placed in a manger. And he left this world in the most unusual way. Not hailed as king, but crucified as the most vile of criminals. And placed in a tomb that wasn't his own. And only a handful of ladies even came to pay their last respects. But notice, this is not all the angel said to the ladies that day. Look at verse 7. The angel then tells him, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, we're going to reflect more on this statement from the angel when we come to the second point And we look at verse 10. So for now, I want to withhold many comments about verse 7. What I want to do now is reflect on the significance of what has occurred up to this point and what bearing it has on our lives. If we were just to stop here and we were to reflect on what we have just beheld and what we've just thought about, what difference should it make on our lives? We'll go back to verse 1. And notice when the resurrection took place. after. The Sabbath on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Do do you realize Jesus could have risen from the dead on the Sabbath and that would have been fitting? But he didn't, and that's significant. He could have. That would have been fitting, but he didn't, and that's significant. You see, the Sabbath, which was on Saturday, which had been set apart by God as a holy day, is now being replaced by Sunday. If you've ever wondered why do Christians, and why have Christians for millennia worshipped on Sundays, here's the reason why. The resurrection of Jesus is The reason. That's what made the difference. Why for so many years did the people of God worship God on Saturday. They called the Sabbath. And all of a sudden we turn to the New Testament. And they're worshiping Jesus on a different day. Because of the resurrection. Sunday is the day that Christians celebrate what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. Now, as I stated a minute ago, I love Easter Sunday. I've enjoyed today so far. It has just been a blessed day. But hear me say this, and don't get me wrong. Easter Sunday is a great Sunday, but it's no more significant than any other Sunday. Because every Sunday, we celebrate the same things. We introduced a new song today, but did you notice besides that, aren't those the songs we always sing? It wasn't like, let's scrape together some resurrection songs. Aren't those the songs we sing Sunday in and Sunday out that rehearse the gospel story and end with the resurrection and all that it means for us? See, every Sunday, this is what we do. We come together when we... Gather together and we celebrate. And what is it that we celebrate every Sunday when we come together? Well, here's the first thing. We celebrate Jesus' death on the cross. Look back at verse 5 and notice what the angel said. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now we can just read right past that. But by mentioning the cross... The angel was not simply referencing the manner in which Jesus died, which obviously was a Roman cross. Instead, he's highlighting why Jesus died. You see, in in Matthew's gospel account, the cross is a symbol of judgment. And not man's judgment, but God's judgment. See, the gospel according to Matthew makes it abundantly clear. If you, you get to this point, you start reading in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel, and you make it to this point in chapter 28 to the scene of the resurrection. Here's what have been abundantly clear if you read this gospel. Jesus was completely innocent and sinless, yet he suffered the judgment of God in our place on the cross. So by the time the angel says, this Jesus who was crucified, he's not just mentioning how, how he ended up in the grave. Oh, you remember he was, he, he was killed by the Romans. No. He's reminding them of this glorious truth. This one you came to see. He's the one who died for you. You see, to be a Christian is to recognize your sin against a holy and good God. And it's to recognize that your sin against a holy and good God deserves judgment. But instead of receiving what you deserve and receiving what I deserve, Jesus became our substitute. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not one who knows a lot of Bible stories and Bible passages, who goes to church and, and tries to live a good moral life. A Christian is one who recognizes their sin against the holy God that deserves his judgment but instead of receiving what they deserve Jesus became their substitute and so they receive him as their savior. So every Sunday. Not just on Easter Sunday, every Sunday When we gather, here's what we do. We confidently declare salvation is found in Jesus alone. Not in good works. And not by being religious. And when we gather together on Sunday, every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the grave. That's what we do every Sunday. Think of the tomb for just a moment. I think the tomb is a wonderful symbol of a number of things. Think think of the tomb in this way first. The tomb, it represents all that's wrong with the world. Stand there for just a minute and think about that tomb in that graveyard. Immediately we move to the empty tomb. Don't go there so fast. It's a tomb. It's in a graveyard. It represents all that's wrong with this world. We live in a world affected by sin. And every day we experience the consequences of man's rebellion. Because of man's rebellion, we live in a world where there is suffering. Where there is injustice. Where there is sickness. Where there is broken relationships. Where there's death. However, if the tomb represents all that's wrong with the world, then the empty tomb is a symbol of eternal hope. So now we don't just look at this tomb in this graveyard. We go inside and we see this empty tomb and it too is a symbol to us. It's a symbol of eternal hope. You see, the empty tomb, it makes a loud statement to us. here's, Here's the loud statement the empty tomb makes to each one of us, or it should. Here it is. Death has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. Our penalty has been paid for. The enemy of this world has been defeated. And our Savior is alive, and he will rescue us from every Trial we face, and He will lead us home. That's what the empty tomb says. It says something loudly to us, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday we come in here after we've just left a broken world, receiving news of the brokenness of this world, cancer diagnoses. Wayward children financial hardships all of the things that can just weigh on our souls and we come here on sunday and and the tomb the empty tomb l- shout loudly shouts to us and reminds us of the future hope that we have that what we see with our eyes doesn't have the final say the empty tomb becomes a symbol of eternal hope for us. Now, before moving on to the second point, I want to offer the following counsel from a man named Scott Oliphant in his book, Know What You Believe, a book we've actually been recommending during our bridge course. Here's what he says, and I think it's a helpful reminder before we move to the next point. He says, Christians should never be content To begin and end their belief in the resurrection of Christ with only historical data. The data supports our belief in the resurrection. The data can supplement what we believe and why we believe. In other words, it's a great thing that that Christians can say, Hey, listen, our belief in the resurrection isn't just historically unfounded. That's a great thing. And it can support our faith. But it must not be central. He goes on to say that data can supplement what we believe and why we believe, but historical data cannot be the center of our response to the why question. The center of our response to the why question of the resurrection is this. Without the resurrection of Christ, there is, in fact, no Christianity at all. Stopped on the street. Someone says, do you believe all that stuff on that everybody's celebrating today? Jesus rising from the dead. I hope our only response wouldn't be, hey, there's a lot of historical data to prove that he did. I hope first and foremost, we would say, yes, I believe in it. Because if it's not true, I am with God. hope. And so are you. But I'm not without hope. I am not without hope. And this is why Scott Oliphant goes on to say the following, which just better explains why he said what he did. The reason that Christians believe in the resurrection of Christ is not simply because we believe in miracles or in life after death. The reasons that Christians believe in the resurrection is because Since sin came into the world, the fact of Christ's resurrection, together with its meaning, it comprises the center of God's entire plan for the world. See, the resurrection not only makes sense of this entire story of the Bible, but it makes sense of what's wrong with the world and how is what's wrong with the world ever going to be made right. The resurrection. It's the explanation point. What's wrong with the world? And how will it be made right? The resurrection lets us know all that we believe comes down to these events that we're celebrating this morning. So this means, listen, this means our ultimate hope and our overwhelming joy, though, cannot be found in an empty tomb. Yes, we're glad that the tomb was empty, and there's historical data to prove that the tomb was empty. But our joy and our hope isn't found in an empty tomb, but in the risen Savior. That brings us now to point two the risen Savior, verses eight through 10. Look at verse eight with me. So they, being the ladies, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Now imagine for just a moment being with them. Being there. You you, you get to be there among these women. Their plan was to anoint the body of Jesus. But so far to their surprise and to ours, if we're there with them, the stone is rolled back. An earthquake has shaken the ground. An angel awaits at the tomb. And not only does an angel await, an angel speaks and he announces that Jesus has risen from the dead. And then he tells us to go, or he invites us to come and see for ourselves. And then he's going to tell them in a moment to go and make sure that all the other disciples know. At this point, had you been one of those ladies or been with one of those ladies, you would have been shocked to the core. And that's exactly what these women were. Notice the description, it says they were fearful. They, they left there with fear and great joy. You may be thinking, well, which one was it? Was it more fear or more joy? It was both. <laughs> they left there completely shocked to the core. And yet, little do they know. The most Unbelievable event of the morning has not yet occurred, but it's about to. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. This is one of those moments you wish you could have been there. I mean, these women have already had quite the morning, right? Here they are going to pay respects to this one that they love so dearly. They've experienced a whirlwind of things. Had they experienced one of these, the earthquake, the angel, the empty tomb, the resurrection. Take your pick. All of them. One of them would have been enough. They've experienced all of this. And then all of a sudden, to their surprise, as they leave, there he stands. And you know what he says? Greetings. Do you know what I love about that word? Right in verse 8, when we said, when it says that they left the tomb with great joy, it's the same root word in the Greek. He didn't just say, hello, woman. You know what it's expressing? The word greetings? He was glad. He probably called them by name. I bet you he had a big smile on his face. (gasps) Mary. (gasps) Mary. I'm so glad to see you. So glad to see you. And notice what happens next. The second half of this verse. And they came up. And took hold of his feet. And worshipped him. Friends. This is the only way. To respond. To the one who loves sinners the way Jesus did. This is the only way to respond to the one who dies for sinners so they can be forgiven. And this is the only way to respond to the one who's risen from the dead. You see, worship is the only appropriate response towards Jesus who rose from the dead. Let's not miss this application this morning. There is one point of application. It was the application from the first Easter, and it is the same application 2,000 years ago on this Easter Sunday. Worship is the only appropriate response towards Jesus who rose from the From the dead. Now, earlier under point one, we considered what we celebrate when we come together on Sundays. Now, I want us to consider who it is we celebrate when we come together. See, we're not just coming together and celebrating some truth. We celebrate the cross, we celebrate the resurrection. No, we are celebrating Him. Every Sunday, when we come together, we are celebrating who He is Jesus Christ. The crucified and risen Savior is the one who should receive all our allegiance and all our affection. You see, who Jesus is, listen, who Jesus is, is not merely meant to be discussed or debated about or simply believed in. Jesus is not simply to be revered as a man man to follow. He must be worshipped. End of sentence. It's the only response. And think about this. Ever since Jesus arrived on earth, those who knew who He was worshipped Him. Think about the Magi. See, the birth story and the resurrection story have so many parallels. When Jesus came, those who knew who He was, they didn't just debate about Him. They didn't just talk about him, they worshipped him. But they, the magi, they appear to worship him because of who they perceived him to be. Friends, we must worship Jesus not only because of who we know him to be, but we must worship him because of what he's done for us. If the Magi fell down and gave him gifts and they didn't completely understand this is the Son of God who's going to die on a cross for the sins of the world and they worshiped Him, (laughs) what should be our response? So here's the question for you today and for me. Will you worship Jesus because you know of His grace and His mercy and His love for you? Will you be like this woman, Mary Magdalene? I love it that she's in this story. Will you be like her? You know her story. You know why she fell down at his feet and worshiped. This was the woman whom Jesus had rescued, healed, set free, and restored. And her response wasn't, oh, glad to see you alive, Jesus. She fell down at his feet and worshiped him. I've been praying for something this week in light of this message. I've been praying earnestly and sincerely for people who genuinely follow Jesus. But are reserved in their worship of Him. Here's my prayer. I pray that if that is you, you believe in Jesus, you would say, I've been saved. But worship, oh yeah, in my heart of worship. I'm praying that today you will feel the freedom of worshiping Jesus. pray that that would be your response. In a moment, we're going to sing two songs as our expression of worship. And one of those songs we're going to sing again will be the one we just taught you, Is He Worthy? The question will be, as we sing those songs, will you lift up your voice to the one who is worthy of worship? See, if Jesus rose from the dead, he's worthy of worship. That we fall at his feet like Mary Magdalene because we know what it's like to be forgiven, healed, redeemed, and restored. Now there's one more verse, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Interestingly, if you pay close attention to what Jesus just said here in verse 10, what he says to them is very similar to what the angel said to these women. Notice the similarity between verse 7 and verse 10. Now you can see why I put off verse 7 till now. Twice now. First from the angel, now from Jesus. Here's what's been said. Don't be afraid. Both the angel and Jesus says that. Go and tell my disciples. Both said that. And I'll meet you in Galilee. What would happen in Galilee that would top this? Obviously, something big time. Jesus should say, go get my disciples and tell them to come to the tomb, and then we're going to set up a big shrine here. Because isn't this the best thing ever? What in the world happened in Galilee that would be better than the empty tomb? Jesus commissioned his disciples in Galilee to tell the world about him. And to make disciples who live for Him. You see, when we gather on Sunday mornings, we gather to worship the one worthy of worship. And then we scatter as a church to live as His disciples in hopes of making more disciples. Do you know that that's been the rhythm of the church for over 2,000 years? The church gathers. And the church scatters. Where did that begin? Resurrection Sunday. The church gathered. And now they're worshiping the one who had died and had risen. But they didn't stay at the tomb. They left. They scattered to tell others. The good news. This morning, if you've joined our celebration. And you could honestly say in your heart. I've heard a lot about Jesus. I respect him as a teacher. I even respect his example that he would be willing to die. But you, you would say. I have never worshipped Jesus as the crucified and risen Savior. Today, you can do so. Do you know what worship looks like for you? Turn from your sin. Trust that Jesus, when He went to that cross, that He went to pay, not only for the general sins of the world, but for your sins, so that you can be forgiven. And have life. And then turn to him. Knowing that it's through Jesus and his finished work that you can have hope. Hope of life today and life forever. Now listen, if worship is the only appropriate response towards Jesus who rose from the dead. Then let's worship. Right? If that's our application for this morning, our primary application, that if worship is the only appropriate response towards Jesus who rose from the dead, then let us get our worship going. So I want to invite the worship team to come on, back up, I want to pray for us, and then let us apply today's message by lifting our hands, lifting our voices, and let's give Jesus the worship he is worthy of. O oh, risen Savior, we want you to receive all the glory. We know you are worthy of worship. We pray now that we would be able to express from the depths of our heart the gratitude we feel for what you've done for. us. Lord, make us like Mary Magdalene. On that day when she saw the Savior and fell at his feet. She wasn't worried about what anyone in the building thought of her. How great her voice sounded. She fell down. And worshiped. May we lift our voices to you. And may we express how worthy you are. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.